everyone. Welcome to the PC Perspective Podcast. This is episode 576 being recorded Wednesday. That's right. We're back to a Wednesday, February 26, 2020. I'm Jim Tannis. I'm Jeremy Holstrom. I'm Josh Walrus. I'm Sebastian Peake. Uh, we're glad you could join us. Uh, we, as, as I said, we, we normally, we used to, for many years, recorded these on Wednesday nights at 10 p.m. Eastern. In recent weeks, however, we've had a lot of uh, late shows, Thursday night shows, had to skip a few weeks. But we're hopefully, this is the start of getting back on track, getting back to that original Wednesday schedule. And we do record these live when we are recording them. And if you'd like to join us live, be in the chat or be in our Discord uh, head over to pcpro.com slash subscribe to join our mailing list that lets you know when we're going to go live. I send it out about an hour or so uh, before each uh, live stream. And then you can hop on to our uh, YouTube page. We're now streaming to Twitch again as well. Uh, or, of course, you can uh, always see an, an, an embed uh, of the latest live stream at pcpro.com slash live. Also, uh, if you want to support us here at PCPro, head to patreon.com slash pcpro. Every uh, penny that is donated there goes directly to operating the site, so we really appreciate it. And if you'd like me to say something embarrassing, our little deal is that if you become a new patron, uh, not even just during the show, but during the, the preceding week, if you become a patron or increase your pledge, just edit your name field, and I will read whatever you put in there on the next show. Uh, so uh, check that out again, patreon.com slash pcper. But let's uh, jump into the news this week. There's been a couple of stories since our last show on last Thursday. And uh, the first is that Microsoft uh, has finally uh, given us a little bit of a taste of uh, what's coming with the Xbox Series X. This is the new AMD-powered console uh, expected to launch this holiday, uh, this fall. And uh, we knew it was going to be powered by AMD. We we you know, strongly suggested it would be a, a Zen 2-based AMD, uh, but they've come out with a few additional details uh, earlier this week, uh, confirming Zen 2, uh, confirming that the GPU uh, will be RDNA 2. So that's, that's going to be interesting. And then, of course, probably the most interesting aspect of this, giving out the performance uh, level at 12 teraflops for that AMD uh, GPU. Uh, Microsoft uh, says that that's, uh, in terms of CPU performance, four times uh, more powerful than the Xbox One. And in terms of GPU performance, uh, double the Xbox One X, which is that much more powerful console that came out a couple uh, years ago, and eight times more powerful, I believe it was, uh, than the original 2013 Xbox One. So uh, what, do you, what do you guys think of uh, what Microsoft announced here in terms of hardware? That's a lot of teraflops given the form factor. I mean, <clears throat> the form factor is, is kind of unique in that it looks like it's designed to take a lot of heat out of the system. But, I mean, how, how what's the TDP going to be on this chip? I mean, it's, it's a pretty significant uh, design. I mean, very reminiscent of, of some of the older Apple stuff where, you know, you have the convection uh, cooling going on. Uh, but still, 12 teraflops and and you know eight cores assuming 16 threads that's a that's a pretty beefy soc that they've got there and that doesn't even take into account if they're going to integrate pcie 4.0 or are they just going to stick with 3.0 if they're power constrained then 3.0 is is definitely where they want to go because 4.0 just it inches that up there and uh 
you know, you got to think that in a consumer product like this that does have such an SOC, I mean, what's the highest TDP that they're going to go? 120? 105? That's pushing it. 85, yeah, 105 maybe? Yeah, yeah, but this is RDNA 2. I know. And so. it looks like it's going to be 7 nanometer plus possibly. So they could potentially get it in there. And uh, when you kind of start looking at it, I mean, if it actually hits these specs, then that uh, bodes well for AMD uh, come this fall. If they've got Big Navi, which is rumored to be RDNA 2 as well. Yep. Um, and if that's the case, then they've done some pretty good things with, with power efficiency and throughput. And it's going to be real curious where it's going to actually come out because yeah i mean maybe it's going to be a 200 watt tdp chip and that's why it's such a huge freaking box in that kind of form factor that you know is is really accentuating cooling but i don't know it's uh you know a lot of questions Uh, it's really interesting it's intriguing obviously and um it's a lot of beef uh for a console gaming and you know i I have an Xbox One S, and I use that for a lot of video playback and stuff like that. Plex, which, you know, doesn't exist. Uh, 4K video. My kids sometimes play some games. And, I mean, there are some things I don't like about the OS and, and the presentation. But, overall, it's it's a really, really solid package. And if you're getting that kind of power in a pretty easy-to-use consumer product like this... I mean, that's the possibilities are are nearly limitless. I mean, we haven't heard anything about VR capabilities, uh, who they're working with, if they're even considering that. But, you know, a 12 teraflop SOC is is nothing to joke about. Yeah, that grill yeah. at the top is actually an intake fan, and they suggest that you leave the Xbox pointed outside a window. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Or don't sit too near it, or you may lose your hearing from the sound of the fan. Uh, yeah, very interesting of how they're going to pack all that hardware into this package. Uh, we know, of course, that the PS5 is based on the same basic platform. Uh, we don't know exact design and implementation yet. But we do know, of course, that Microsoft took a, a black eye in 2013 in terms of performance versus the PS4. And uh, Phil Schiller coming in and... Uh, being very uh not phil schiller that's apple phil uh spencer sorry phil spencer coming in and uh you know pledging that they don't ever want to be in that position again they want to be the performance leader and we saw a little bit of that with the xbox one x so seeing if they go for a very aggressive power target with this unique cooling that they've got going on in this this uh vertical tower type case um they could really push this thing you know, this this would be a good a good example of what RDNA two can do when when given uh, a lot of power in a in in a still confined thermal environment. So, does anybody know if the power supply is external? I don't see a port that looks like a standard power input on the back. At least any of the leaked. Yeah, I don't know. It's been it's been internal since the original Xbox One. Uh, the yeah. S and the X are are internal. But, I mean, um, so. power supplies have gotten so dense, you could still put like a four or 500 watt power supply in the base of something like this. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to be that high, mm-hmm. but just looking at specs, 
I don't think they've they've not revealed whether it's FP sixteen or FP thirty two. They're getting this twelve teraflop number. From, that's true, they? and that's they they haven't. Um, and, that, and that's to me, just looking at the gaming industry, they like Nintendo. I know it was a big deal. They when introducing the Switch, they were FP sixteen. I can't because if you if it's FP sixteen, that's half precision, and that would be between the performance level of a RX 5500 XT and a 5600 XT. 5500 XT is only 10.4 teraflops. And then that's FP16. And then the 5600 XT is above that. It's like 13 or 14. And you get into the 5700, 5700 XT, and you're up to like 19 and a half teraflops at FP16. So it's not like this is a world beater if it's FP16. If it's uh, full precision, uh, 12, that's better than anything we have on the market currently. So, I mean... Well, except for some of the stuff on the NVIDIA side. Right, right. I just meant from, like, the Radeon side side of things. So, yeah. I mean, but this is next-gen. This could be next-gen graphics. I still don't think so. I'll be the... the Wasn't the 5700 XT, uh, what, FP32 is is a 9.6 teraflops? Something Something like that. that. It's like 9.5, yes. Yeah, so, so it would I mean, it, it would not be than a out of seven hundred XT. No, but it's already an A two and yeah. possibly second generation seven nanometer. That would be amazing. It'd be yeah, we'd be back to consoles having better graphics than the desktop again, or at least for a little mm-hmm. while. Yeah, but and of I'm course, skeptical. there's always there's always the uh, you know to the metal arguments with consoles that an optimized limited system they can highly optimize highly code to, to take advantage of the the raw performance there uh but of course uh, real quick some other uh things that microsoft confirmed is that uh, they'll support var- variable rate shading so you know you're not wasting performance uh on areas that you might not notice uh you know keep keep uh, performance steady and, and and high on these 4k titles and of course uh, also hardware accelerated directx ray tracing so that'll be interesting to see as as an, as AMD hardware uh, really uh, takes advantage of ray tracing, which is something we haven't seen from them yet. Uh, so there's a lot of talk. And if you about buy it. Cyberpunk twenty seven Z seven, you'll be able to play it on this one as well. It, yes. Uh, so that's the, the Microsoft has a um, what do they call it here? Smart Smart Delivery, I think, is yeah. the uh, the branding term. So basically, it's the, it's all the same basic hardware, but obviously with more powerful consoles, you're going to have different experiences, and some games won't be compatible. But Microsoft has come out and said that they want to continue sort of this thing they started with backwards compatibility so that no matter what console you have, if you buy a game and it's available on another cons- on one of the higher-end consoles, you can play it uh, when you upgrade without having to rebuy it. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not mandatory for publishers. Microsoft is going to be doing that for all of their first-party titles, and as Jeremy said, you know, some consumer-friendly studios like CD Projekt Red have come out and said that titles like Cyberpunk 2077 will, will take advantage as well. I don't think we'll see Rockstar doing it. I don't think we're going to see the Ultra <laughs> edition of Red Dead Redemption 2 come for free on the upgrade. Uh, but at least the option's there, uh, and, and at least some studios will take advantage of that. Um, but yeah, overall, um, just a... Uh, you know, some not not all the details we'd want, but of course we'll take what we can get here, and and it'll be interesting to see if if Sony now feels compelled to release some more specifications. In particular, you know, I'm, I'm interested uh, on the SSD side. It was 
teased initially that both these consoles would have N- NVMe SSDs was the the bullet point that was leaked. And then that's kind of been scaled back. And I, I mean, it might still be NVMe, but it, it, it might be like a QLC drive. So there's a, a yeah. an, enough cache to store one or two titles that are frequently played. And then yeah, a I lot think it's going to be a tiered things. storage. Yeah. Yes. I'm, I'm pretty certain of it. You're going to have, you know, 64 gigs of, of flash and two terabytes of, of, of hard drive or something like that. Um, it's not going to be fantastic, but. You know, it's going to be faster than a, a just a simple spinning drive. Probably 128 oh. to 256, maybe. Uh, yeah, well, they, they sort of say, you know, a quick resume on a couple of games. Yeah. Which tells me you, you've got enough SLC that you can store a couple of games, or at least enough to quick launch them. Uh, if you think about games uh, now, like Red Dead Redemption on Xbox is 80-plus gigs uh, with the DLC and stuff. It oh, pushes yeah. 100 uh, Doom's huge. Uh, you know, you think about then adding Arcs, all those. Are arcs now the arcs Genesis two hundred mm. gigabytes? Oh my god! Bloody hell! Yeah, it's so, nuts. And I thought, and I thought, Mech Warrior two at seven hundred and sixty huh. megs was massive. Oh, Unreal Tournament two thousand four, and it's eight CDs. Like, what the hell are you doing, guys? Yeah. So, the, I mean, the question then is. Considering that these game sizes will only further uh, explode, does Microsoft give you enough flash, or or do they take the position that well, we'll give you enough for a couple games, and you can always go get an external hard drive and you know cold storage your games you're not playing? We're going back to brick and mortar stores. You go in and you buy the game, and it's literally like a hot swappable NVMe drive. Mm-hmm. You just want to play it, and you plug it in, and away you go. <laughs> Cartridges. This is getting ready. Another name. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's uh, uh, keep an eye on, on Xbox and stuff, but let's move on to our uh, our next story this week. And that's, of course, that uh, we're getting ready for Ryzen 4000. And Ryzen 4000, uh, both on the laptop side and the desktop side. Now, in this case, we're talking about the laptop side. So this is Zen 2. Thankfully, uh, the long-awaited upgrade, because I, I felt it was kind of unfair to have Ryzen 3000 mobile on the market being Zen Plus at the same time that Ryzen 3000 on the desktop as Zen 2 was was breaking all the records and you know offering a great experience. And not that Ryzen 3000 mobile didn't offer a great experience, but it just wasn't clearly as dominant as its desktop predecessor was compared to Intel, especially once Ice Lake launched. But now that's going to be remedied. We've got these Ryzen 4000 mobile parts coming out, and we've had news from a number of manufacturers, and it looks like Lenovo is going to be, uh, of course, as we would have expected, joining that. Uh, to tell us what Lenovo's got in store for Ryzen 4000, Jeremy. Well, they're going to offer it as an option for just about every single one of this uh, refresh of the line, straight across the board, uh, whatever you want to go with. And there's, there's some interesting ones because, of course, this is also the official refresh. refresh. So you'll be seeing the Intel uh, 10th gens as well. But, you know, the, the, the T-series, the X-series, and the L-series are all getting a brand new makeover at decent prices, to be honest, for a ThinkPad uh, compared to some of the other ones that we've seen. They're going to have all the wonderful things so that the T-series uh, and the X-series are going to have, uh, you know, significantly brand new Wi-Fi 6 and a, a WAN uh, available. Uh, the L-series is going to skip out on LTE. 
So all of the rest of them, if you want, you can get an LTE. There will, of course, be 5G eventually. They didn't really talk about it too much, um, but definitely like the, the Fold and that Yoga uh, are going to have it because that's sort of the form factor that they go with. Uh, one neat thing uh, that I'm spotting is that the X13 uh, Yoga and the entire T-Series, if you want to pay for it, you get an Ultra HD OLED monitor with Dolby HDR support, which this is pretty fancy for a ThinkPad, to be honest, when you're thinking about you know, a work, uh, something you're using at work and, you know, sort of being able to have that graphics capability on it is, you know, pretty nifty. I, I think that uh, this is going to attract a lot of people and maybe not just the, the devoted IBMers or Lenovo people that, you know, are always going to be picking one of these up. So it'd be interesting. Yeah. And Lenovo was, because uh, there wasn't a big adoption of Ryzen 3000 mobile. Uh, you just didn't find it on as many... Uh, manufacturers, but Lenovo was one of those early adopters. We uh, we looked at the T four ninety five, which was like a I think it was a twelve hundred dollar thirteen inch with uh, the top end at the time uh, Ryzen seven thirty seven hundred U. It was a fine fine little system. Like I said, it just didn't it didn't feel dominant compared to Intel. Um, at well, I actually can't even say that that price range because the Intel system was quite a bit more expensive. But you just didn't have the battery life, didn't have the snappiness. And the big difference that you mentioned Wi-Fi six and things like that is, is who they're going to go with, with the, the networking, because uh, if we look at a comparison nowadays, which would be the uh, Microsoft surface laptop, for example, which is available in both a Ryzen 3000 and a, a ice Lake variant. Intel has the advantage of having the built-in Wi-Fi six controller. And you can say what you want about Intel, but their Wi-Fi six chip is solid. It is a good performing integrated chip and it's built right in. For the, for the Ryzen system, Microsoft had to go out and get Qualcomm. Now, they could have gone with Intel, I guess. I, I don't know what the licensing issues are there, but but they went out and got a Qualcomm well, AC go chip. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and, and that, that Qualcomm AC, Wi-Fi AC, was uh, garbage. Just, yeah. I mean, the, the, between those two Surface laptops, the Ryzen one was a third of the networking speed, even at AC levels, on, a, on an AC router. So... So we'll see. Any of you guys going to pick up a, a Ryzen 4000 laptop? Gosh, I want to see how much. I mean, I'm, I'm poor, but, you know, this is their first real interesting laptop since the old e-machines Athlon 64. Do you remember Yeah, that one, that laptop that came out, had one of the first mobile Athlon 64s? It was kind of spanking Intel stuff all around, though Bunnius was shortly thereafter and, and still really good. But, uh, yeah, they have not been uh, competitive, uh, especially through, you know, even Excavator, which was super, super hey, hey, highly hey. tuned for mobile. And it just it just couldn't cut the cheese. Nope. Couldn't cut it. But this looks extremely promising. And what is really impressive is uh, the revamp work they did on Vega. Uh, it seems like the graphics portion is extremely strong for what they're doing, which is uh, impressive because, you know, a lot of people had thought, yeah, Vega. Navi's the new hotness. Well, no, they... They did a fine-tooth comb through that architecture, and uh, it looks like they've done some pretty near miraculous things 
at the 25 to 35 watt TDP range that uh, it makes it very, very interesting for a kind of, you know, fun gaming laptop. What did they say? Uh, it was 40% better? It's like 57% faster yes. than... Okay. It was yeah, a, per per watt uh, yeah. than previous Vega in implementations. That's it was that's it huge. was a, some insane number. Yeah, yeah, it's nuts. All right, well, we're gonna keep our uh, eyes out for for those uh, Ryzen four thousand laptops coming in the next couple months. Uh, we don't have any yet. And nobody's sent us any for review yet. But uh, based on what we saw last year, we should probably be hearing from a couple companies here shortly. Uh, so we'll stay tuned for for more info there. Uh, all right, our next story. Uh, you thought Intel was out of 5G, huh? They would beg to differ. They may not be making modems, but that's not going to stop Intel from, like a lot of companies, from jumping on the 5G bandwagon. And uh, they had an announcement. This was probably meant to be a Mobile World Congress announcement based on the timing of it. But, of course, with that show getting canceled due to the coronavirus, they they uh, you know issued a press release and, and just kind of did it on their own. And so they, they've, they've made a club of couple of announcements here kind of all centered, centered around uh, 5G networking. So obviously they sold off their modem, uh, their, their struggling modem uh, in, uh, business to Apple, but they are still looking at, okay, we're not going to have modems, but there's going to be a lot of devices that need to power these networks, edge devices and central data centers routing the traffic and all that. And Hey, we, we, you know, we got chips for that, they said. So they've come out and announced a number of uh, products uh, all based around, or at least primarily based around this networking. Uh, uh, what's your takeaway from this, uh, Jeremy? I, I still don't understand why I want 5G in my server. I, I, it's just utterly and completely beyond me. Attached to my network equipment? Hell yeah. I use that as a, a backup, as, as a, like a final failover after the other two have gone down so that people can at least get in. But I can, I bet you there's going to be usage scenarios. I bet you they will sell very well, but I, ju I just think it is really kind of wacky that they're sort of talking about putting in 5g add-in cards uh, for PCs uh, on the plus side. You're also looking at uh, some fancy network stuff on those add-in cards. So you're, you're sort of seeing your next uh, generation of, of proper wired connections. Uh, the, the other thing they bundled in with this, uh, along with that, is the Xeon Scalable, uh, which is the uh, yet another one of the only CPUs with CPUs with AI built in, of which you know there are God only knows how many of them at this point. Uh, the theory with this one is that uh, they're, they're focusing on AI tasks and deep learning tasks uh, and are claiming that in some cases they're going to see up to six times more performance than on a Rome processor, which if true, at least gives you the Intel one specific usage case to be able to convince someone to go with a Xeon as, you know, as opposed to an Epic, which is something that they kind of need. Uh, so you're going to see uh, Amazon web services, Baidu, Microsoft, all, all the normal ones uh, be interested in this, but at the same time, even with a cut in prices, even with specific tasks that they may be better at than AMD, it's hard. It's a hard fight uh, on the sales floor to try and get someone to move from uh, from an Epic processor to a Xeon processor this generation. I think it, it's wonderful to see. 
Uh, you'll also see uh, the Atom P5900 uh, because Intel is now getting into base stations. So all of a sudden, networking is becoming a very big thing for them because it was several generations ago. The last time that they put out one of these, uh, it was a different Atom, specifically, again, for base stations. So this one's going to be 10 nanometer with, you know, possibly some pluses. And when we see it come in, it's going to be interesting because this could be a really good usage case for buying Intel to go with 5G networks, which then means that they're getting a little bit of money back from Apple who bought their 5G business just, you know, not too long ago whatsoever. There's a lot of stuff that just sort of appeared out of nowhere. I, I mean, I know I'm forgetting Diamond Mesa, which I didn't really get a chance to look at, but isn't yet another 5G ASIC uh, with specific uh, uses in low-power stuff. It's it just unbelievably huge dump of information. And so VentureBeat got a little bit of it. Serve the Home does a brilliant write-up of all of the processor side of it but doesn't really necessarily focus so much on the stuff that's not really them, which is the base stations and that it's, it's going to be interesting how this works out in the market. Yeah. So we've, of course we've seen, as Jeremy said, there, there were, there were price drops that had been rumored unofficially uh, based on Intel's discussion with their customers. And uh, now we've seen uh, refreshed these cascade, like refreshed products hitting with, with lower prices, kind of mirroring the steps they took a few months ago in the enthusiast desktop, but Josh, is this enough? What do you think? Is this going to, is, is basically in some cases cutting the price in half, is that going to be enough to lure as Jeremy? Uh, Cause Jeremy doesn't think so. What do you think? <clears throat> well, you know, it's interesting because <clears throat> today Cloudflare uh, released a bunch of benchmarks, internal benchmarks and stuff for their workloads <clears throat> and AMD Epic just absolutely destroyed Xeon sometimes by 36% in, in certain workloads. And I'll, I'll link that uh, tweet in. Yeah, it's it's insane. I mean, they're just like, well, it's no longer Intel inside. We're really happy with how Epic uh, handles our workloads. And it's just kind of insane. I mean, it's it's a pretty good overall SmackDown. And this is something, this is this is kind of the win that AMD has been hoping for, that people would be able to do actual workloads on and say, you know what, they've got a superior product across the board and their density is so much better and their power consumption is so much better. It's just, uh, yeah, this is, I mean, it may not convince everybody, obviously, but it's, you know, it's it's another... It's another, you know, brick in the wall. It's 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 a big win for them all together. And so, you know, it is no wonder that uh, Intel is cutting some prices <clears throat> because even though that they're having problems supplying the market, they're seeing more people move away from Intel because not only because they can't get servers in a timely manner, <clears throat> but they're starting to see some real true positive improvements on the AMD side. And AMD has worked really, really hard. This is the second generation Epic. Uh, they've hammered out a lot of issues. I mean, you know, one thing that, that, that servers always have a problem with is, you know, good IO support. And it seems like AMD has 
gotten a lot of the low-level stuff. Now, I think Intel still has better management features. And if that's important to you, then, then you know, if you're running a bunch of servers and you need those management features, then you're still going to go with Intel. But if you are looking at pure performance, uh, the cost of, of, of everything, what is this, COTS? Is that what the cost of... Total, uh, it's not total sales. Oh, to- TCO, total cost of ownership. There yeah. you go. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, then, then you know, AMD has an advantage. It's less of a one now that Intel is slashing these prices. And I think Charlie talked about that almost a month ago. Uh, so, you know, props out to him for, for having uh, all of his claws out in the industry and, and getting some pings there. But yeah, I mean, this is you know, this is really an interesting time in enterprise because Intel is behind the ball in process technology. Um, I mean, their technology is overall is, is still good, especially design. But AMD has really taken that jump forward, just like in the Athlon sixty four when they integrated so much of the functionality, memory controller, hypertransport. Other stuff, uh, large, you know, caches in, in the original Opteron uh, back in 2004, 2005. You know, we have not seen that since then. And it's something that AMD is, they're, they're going to have an advantage on because Intel has not yet gone to a kind of more modular uh, type implementation with the chiplets. They're at 14 nanometer, 10 nanometer still is... It's iffy for them, and it will be for a while. 10 nanometer plus is probably the process that will kind of get them going, but it's 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 still 2021. So we're early 2020. AMD has got this momentum going, and they're going to keep it going. And Zen 3 is, is in the horizon uh, in, what, probably holiday of uh, this year. And then... Early next year, Epic will will be getting Zen three, and we're going to keep seeing this incremental improvement in performance. If they can continue to execute, which is always a question, but yeah, it's it's neat stuff, and and it is this is the first time in a long time that Intel has adjusted their prices due to competition. It's been a long time, mm-hmm. but I think Josh, you, you nailed it too. Is is that even at these lower lower prices? It's still performance per watt. Like Intel can cut pricing to get down to uh, whatever you know dollar per core value or whatever, or even performance per dollar. But at huge scale, power usage is still a big issue, and and performance per watt, even at these lower prices, uh, hasn't changed. Obviously, and and that's still in Epic's favor. So. Um, well, let's uh, let's jump on to our next story this week. We've got a uh, an announcement from Corsair. Now, Sebastian, you uh, put together uh, their. I, I I apologize. I forget the product name. What is the name of Corsair's sort of uh, half DIY liquid cooling program? Hydro X series. Hydro X. It's really it's full DIY. It's just they have the nice configurator to. Well, it's, do it's everything right, you need. but they they let you online sh- identify how much tubing you need and where your radiators will go and and right and stuff you're not just ordering parts out of an ek catalog or something they're they're kind of getting you started online configuration i feel like they weren't the first to do it but they have the best 
if if you've gone through their website, even if you're not interested, go through the configurator, build yourself a HydroX series system because you get to pick what motherboard you have, pick the case. They have a bunch of cases, not just theirs, not just, you know, like if you have an MSI motherboard, you put it in there, you pick your Corsair case or your Fantex case or whatever, and then you can put together the system. Previously, they've only had one reservoir pump unit. It's kind of big and it's that traditional uh like it has to be mounted vertically though of course i've seen pictures of it mounted horizontally it, it said i followed the instructions but this is a much smaller unit it's about the size of a fan and it goes onto a fan mount which you can you can do that with the other one this looks like at first when i saw this picture i thought it was a um a block like a block pump nope. combo like on an all-in-one unit that's that's not well, it looked it, like it is it through me too yeah so this is just a big version of that kind of it's a pump reservoir that is separate from your water block but it looks like it would mount a lot more easily inside of a case just on a fan mount because it comes with a metal bracket to mount it to like a 120 millimeter fan mount it looks like which is something you could do with the other one i'd grab it but it's you know it's on a case right now but yeah i'm trying to load corsair's website to show more pictures but their website's not loading I bet I it's your DNS. Are you using OpenDNS, Jim? <laughs> block. Not, not, not presently. Um, but <laughs> yeah, as cool, Jer- though. Like, what's the, a, did they get pricing on this? I don't know. Let me see if I can load the website. Uh, as Jeremy wrote up for us, uh, Tech Power Up did a, a sort of a review of this uh, on over at their site. And I'm trying to okay. find... It was like 180, I think. Okay. Once 155. Yeah, I, but when I looked it up, it was about 180. Okay. Oh, Canadian. I see. Uh, nope. No, it was uh, the American site. Interesting. Yeah, because the pump res combo. Let's see. View full lineup. There we go. Yeah, here we go. Yeah, 155. So that's the XD3 RGB pump res combo. It's the same price. that The other one, the XD5, oh, is... is the one I built with, and that's also 155 Yeah, this is the XD5 that I'm showing on the screen now. I don't know why the yeah. Corsair link took me here, but, but yeah, this is what we're talking about is the XD3. Uh, yeah. So... 155 retail. Uh, so, and I know, you know, Sebastian, you gave uh, the Hydro X setup a very positive review. And uh, this is another option for those who want to take a look at that stuff. Honestly, I probably would have preferred to build with this one because I'd never mm-hmm. done it before. And then finding, like, learning how to actually mount one of those larger ones vertically and properly channel everything. Mm. Plus it took forever for all the bubbles to get out of it. Like it, it took, I don't know, a month. And this only has the one front window. So it would look a lot nicer almost immediately. Cause there are mm-hmm. micro bubbles in like a, a clear reservoir like that for a while, unless there's some trick to it that I didn't know, but uh, yeah. You got to slurp them out with a straw. I did like I tapped on it like I would go down and just tap on it for like 10 minutes reorient it tap on it come back an hour later like, why are the bubbles not going away because I was trying to put off taking photos until the bubbles were gone I just gave up 
you know what you do is is you you do put a straw in it. You don't suck it out. You blow bigger bubbles in it, and it Ooh, and it nice. squeegees. It squeegees the smaller bubbles, and and they they form with the bigger ones, and then dissipate. Yeah. Although you might not want to do it while it's running. Yeah, that's not so good. Or when there's <laughs> algae growing in it. <laughs> All right, our next story uh, is uh, something Jeremy found for us. A uh, little bit of a uh, little bit funny, a little bit terrifying. Uh, I guess uh, some people are having fun at AI's expense, uh, especially when it comes to self-driving cars. And uh, as has while, become tradition, honestly. Yeah, and and while you know this is still sort of proof of concept, uh, not in the wild yet, uh, it very well could be. So tell us what's going on here with uh, AI and its ability to detect a prank. Oh, to, you mean to detect electrical tape? Uh, well, in a practical sense, because yeah. literally that's all that these people did was to take a street sign and add a little bit of tape to it to modify the speed limit to 85, possibly from a 35, possibly from a 55. But the auto, the specific type of autopilot um, on the Teslas accepted that and said, yep, nope, that's fine. 85 miles an hour makes perfect sense. Uh, it's the Mobileye IQ3 chip from the Model X and Model S hardware pack one using traffic aware cruise control because you now have to know your versioning if you drive a Tesla. Uh, <laughs> but it's it's not one of the newest ones. But yes, uh, you take that and you just change with a little piece of uh, tape and boom, all of a sudden that 35 is now interpreted as 85 and away you go. This is up there with the uh, slight change to uh, the gear that a cyclist was wearing, at which point it is recognized as a banana. Or the small little pieces of tape, uh, about pixel size, you can put on a stop sign to make it invisible to an AI-driven car. And so many other fun things that just make you question the whole idea of why are these people like falling asleep or taking their hands off and shaving? Like, they do literally say that this is driver assist and that you should be still paying attention because shit will happen. And it's just the, the shit that's going to happen is not anything you're going to expect because you're going to look at that and know exactly that it's not 85 miles an hour because you don't do that anywhere. But the car isn't going to make that call. It's going to go with what it sees. Oh, and not to mention painting funny little uh, second yellow lines on a, the surface of the tarmac mm. can cause your car to swerve directly into things. Cause again, it just doesn't pay attention. Right. Um, a couple, uh, so yeah, I saw on some of the comments on this story, there was a, a comment that just said, why don't the, the, the manufacturers making these, these self or semi self driving systems just know that they're, you never, I mean, maybe out West, Josh, I don't know, in parts of the, the West, there were high speed limits, but in general, you're never going to see a speed limit that's 85, 85 miles per hour, uh, at least. Yeah, it's 75 uh, in North America. Max, unless you're in Montana, yeah. and then you would have reasonable and prudent. So I'm not sure if Teslas can read that much. Yeah. But, but uh, all right. Uh, uh, next up, we've got some news on NVIDIA's GeForce Now and some troubles it's been having since it came out of beta uh, earlier. Was it earlier this month? Uh, I think early February. But, uh, of course, GeForce Now, which was long in beta, was 
NVIDIA's game streaming service. And uh, when it first came out of uh, beta, I believe they they lost access to Activision Blizzard games. Yes, uh, which they which were never they, authorized to have to begin with. Right. They claimed that was a mistake. Um, but then this is less of a mistake, uh, according to some posts over at the GeForce Now forums. Uh, they've lost Bethesda games, or at least most of them. I believe the exception is Wolfenstein Young Force Youngblood. now has changed my life. It's changed many of my yeah. friends and family. I love that one. <laughs> yeah, that's a great comment. Yeah, so obviously it's... <laughs> I love how it's being downloaded as we speak. <laughs> so it's it's a... Uh, uh, if you're not familiar, uh, unlike some other services, the reason this is interesting, I mean, obviously licensing and all that is is part of these services. The reason this in particular is interesting is because GeForce Now is not a deal. It's not a service where they do a deal with a publisher and then you go buy the game through them like Stadia or something. Uh, this It's basically just a lockdown PC that you remotely connect to uh, running Xeon processors and NVIDIA grid GPUs and it's like a desktop and it is locked down. So you can't do much, but you log in, you log into steam or origin or whatever it may be. And then you play the games you already own. And so you pay NVIDIA just for access time. You're not buying games through them. You're playing the games you own. And so to have these kind of limitations come into that scenario is uh, particularly crappy uh, because it's just, you know, it's, I I bought Skyrim and I want to play Skyrim because I'm on my, my, portable work laptop i don't have the hardware to play it yeah but they want, want you to no. buy skyrim special edition again but even if you did they're not offering with hearthstone but they're not offering it you can't play oh, skyrim at all I know. and that's that's the crappy part and and so it's they're just artificially or arbitrarily uh restricting access to these games uh so I mean, it, it is still streaming. I've I've played around with uh, GeForce Now back when it was in beta. I just signed up again when I read the story just to, to test it out. And it is like it's it's better than Stadia because Stadia was atrociously bad. I mean, it it was just the latency, the picture quality it was it was terrible. This is better, but it's still streaming. I'm not a hardcore multiplayer professional gamer, but even I could very easily sense the latency. And and so for any type of game where reaction time is important, I wouldn't, uh, I don't know, I wouldn't go for one of these. But even with your fast new fiber connection, it was still still latency. Yeah, well, because I I just tried it this afternoon here uh, yeah. at the house at the See, new place so here. Even if you have access to fiber, which most people don't, these are still not ready. Sorry, they're not. And it, it was saying have... it was detecting my latency to the closest server at like 38 milliseconds or something. It was really good relatively. Yeah. And yeah. it still felt it's, I could still, I was trying to play, um, uh, no man's sky and it's still, you just, you could just, it's that subtle thing. And maybe, maybe over time you can train yourself to ignore it. Or if you play games like civilization or something, it's not a big deal, but yeah. right. Yeah. But it's just, man, I, I just can't, I can't get used to it, but, but if you are on those services, you got to be wary of, of, uh, Situations like this. Now, the the real problem will come in is if what if somebody's like this this poor guy here, um, lawn gnomish who loves the service, and what if this is his only service, and so he goes out and buys a Bethesda game exclusively to play it, and he's and and this was at a point when it was available, and he's playing it, and he's having a good time. This is how he games because he doesn't have a gaming PC at home, and then they take it away. 
Yeah, like that's... I mean, if it's not a bot or whatever, because I mean, if you read that particular comment, it doesn't even sound like a real person. Well, I, remember, I mean, in, in general, if somebody's right, buying yeah. games so to that. play, the bots now sound more like humans than the humans do. Right. <laughs> uh, we got to stay so. on topic. Jim doesn't like it when we go too far off topic. But I mean, just so listeners, you know, if Jim has a connection where he has low single digit ping times. So you can have an amazing internet connection and you're still going to experience latency because it has to go all the way through the tubes, all the way to the actual hardware that is rendering the game and then back. And even if you're on a super low latency connection, there's still added latency there. So it, I think about the kind of games that it's perfect for are also kind of the kind of games that are perfect for decent laptop graphics and like low end graphics anyway. If you're going to play a strategy game on it, because that doesn't really have a latency impact the way that a shooter would, that's a game that'll probably play on almost any integrated graphics, at least at low settings. And I know that the modern trend with strategy games even is to have ultra complex models. And there's so many on the screen, like civilizations used by a lot of websites for GPU tests, because you can pump up the detail settings and the resolution and it'll, really chug unless you have a fast graphics card but for the most part you can play those games just as well at very low settings because it's all about the gameplay and not about the graphics so i i i still try to struggle to understand who the market is for a service like stadia or geforce now because if you're there's this whole experience that i guess i don't really relate to which is not having a pc but not necessarily wanting to own a modern console either, but wanting to play games. And I feel like for most people, a smartphone and a tablet are where they would play their casual games if they're not interested in even owning a console and they don't have a PC to play games on. So at some point, uh, is this just for people on tablets or have we just, is it to the point that, Ultralight laptops have been thought of for so long as not having any kind of gaming capability whatsoever that we need a streaming service for them. I don't know. I feel like this is people on a smartphone streaming a PC game instead of playing a mobile game. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely part of it, is they're looking towards this future where more, more and more people are only have a, they only have a tablet or even a smartphone. That's their computing device. And despite the fact that the enthusiast gaming segment of the market is the only one that's consistently grown in recent years. There's still the impression that, that desktop PCs are dying, that it's a shrinking industry. Uh, so having, and, and I'm all for that flexibility. I mean, and then maybe at some point there will be some breakthrough in technology that allows them to make it more acceptable, but, or maybe the people don't care. Maybe they just like my, my wife doesn't game at all, but I have a feeling that if she were to use this service, she wouldn't notice it or care. So maybe that's just what it is. And all I care about is that they that doesn't supplant or take away from local high-performance gaming. And that's what I got worried about with Stadia because so much of their early marketing was saying, we're changing the game. This is it. This is the future. And then they took a big steaming dump and it, you know, and, and then of course they haven't even updated it. And last I saw, they haven't even added any new games. There's like five games you can play on that piece of crap. I apologize. I've, our sponsor this week is Google. Sauce. <laughs> but uh yeah so all right well uh like i said if you're if you're using these services uh just uh be aware that you may lose access to games even ones you've bought 
uh, because of these, uh, these deals, these licensing issues. Um, all right, well, let's jump into the reviews we've got this week. I think we've got three of them. And uh, first up is Sebastian. He reviewed for us the XFS XFX AMD Radeon RX 5600 XT Thick THICC 3 Ultra. Yes. Tell us about this thick. card. It's Thick 3 Ultra, which is their highest end SKU, and it retails for $329. And Bear in mind, this is the card that's supposed to go up directly against an RTX 2060 post BIOS update. They actually sent me, XFX sent me this card with the latest update already applied, which I verified. So if you have one of these things, they do have a BIOS update on their website to take the clocks up higher than I've seen so far. Our previous coverage, we did launch coverage of the 5600 XT. It was with a card AMD sampled us. It was a Sapphire Pulse, which I still have. And that card at $289 featured a game clock of 1610 megahertz and a max boost of 1750. This card is 1650 game and the same 1750 max boost. So higher game clocks, you'd think, oh, it's got this big triple fan cooler, higher game clock. This is going to be a little bit higher performance. There's a huge caveat though. This is 12 gigabit per second memory, whereas the Sapphire Pulse, that BIOS update, bumped up the GPU clocks and took the memory data rate from 12 to 14 gigabit per second. And when we start looking at the game charts in a minute here, you'll see what kind of an impact that has. And it's, I, there's a couple points in the review where I kind of stop and have to kind of explain. This isn't really XFX's fault. It AMD's partners should never really been put in this position where they had to make a choice do I do I bump up memory that's already shipped that's a lower spec and basically do a 24/7 overclock on it that we're not 100% confident that we can validate and and be good with this over the course of the product's lifetime or warranty and by the way this thick 3 ultra card has a 3 year warranty so they're having to make this decision over the course of 3 years but looking at the benchmarks and I I started benchmarking all over again in the middle of last month. So these are all like mid-January to present benchmarks. I threw out all the 2019 stuff. Going back in, I did 1080p first. I'll eventually have some 1440 stuff that's new. But we're talking like high to ultra-high preset 1080p gaming. Because this is a card that AMD targets 1080p. This is not their like 1440p solution. You go up to a 5700 series card for that. And we're seeing with this XFX card... We're seeing performance that is actually really, really close to a Vega 56. I went back and retested our launch Vega 56 from AMD. It's a reference card. And at times it was faster, at least at 1080p. There was a little bit of a difference uh, going to 1440 where I I went back and retested um, 1440 a little bit in this review as well. And... It's kind of funny. It goes from the launch coverage where we were, we were trading blows with the RTX 2060 every benchmark to suddenly it's underperforming compared to a 2060 and it's barely beating a Vega 56. In fact, the Vega 56 was faster in some tests. So memory data rate makes a big difference. This is a bandwidth constrained card. And if you don't have 14 gigabit per second, that faster GPU clock does not mean that much. 
and I mean, there's even a couple of charts in here where I did the the VBIOS test from the first review where it shows like, you know, pre-BIOS flash, Sapphire Pulse versus post-flash. And then I stuck this card in there as well, and it literally sits right between the two, where it's actually closer to the unflashed card than it is to the flashed card. So it really, if if you were to make one change, the RX 5600 XT, you would want to increase the memory data rate, not the core clock is what I'm trying to say. You'll get a much bigger return on your overclock by just bumping up the memory if you can. And you can absolutely do it yourself. I I don't blame XFX for not doing it. And bear in mind, this is their top end SKU. The Thick 3 Ultra is their highest end and it's $329 retail. So if if the very highest end card still has 12 gigabit per second, then you know it I I would almost be interested to see just if one of their lower end cards uh, with lower clocks was able to successfully overclock the memory because right now the Sapphire Pulse that I reviewed first at $289 just blows this away, which is kind of sad. I, so I you have to make all these assumptions, though. Is that Sapphire Pulse with its overclock that I applied when I updated the BIOS for the review? Is that going to last the three years that this card will? I don't know. I don't it's, what do you guys think? Like, is is this? I mean, this is really this is the fifty six hundred XT. This is what the launch reviews would have looked like if they hadn't made that last minute decision to change the memory speed. And it turns out that was optional, and not everybody did it. I was I was mistaken at launch, thinking, oh, everybody got this memory bump that I got, and all the sampled cards I think from AMD got it. But once the rest of the cards across the market came out and the dust settled. It turns out that MSI, Asus, and XFX were three companies that said, no, we're actually not just going to put every card up to 14. We can't. Yeah, so that decision continues to be interesting on AMD's part. Uh, the timing and yeah, the... Yeah, poor planning uh, on AMD's part does not constitute an emergency on their partners. But... Yeah. Yeah, well, I, it's just, it sucks because for their partners as I said in the review, that they were left with the decision to choose long-term stability over being competitive. And they could be competitive because they're not going to lower the price. If they lower the price, they're, first of all, I, I don't know if there's set pricing if or, or what, if anybody was ever going to be selling one of these for less than 279 But you wouldn't want to sell it for less and, and make lower margins on the product. So then the only other thing you could do would be to increase performance. Everybody's offering higher clocks now with a simple BIOS update. It's just a matter of whether or not you get faster memory. You can choose to do it yourself. I have not played with that yet on this to see if I could get 14 stable. I will say though, about this particular card, just really quick, I have three 56, well, I have a 5600 XT. Here's the giant. You can't crossfire anymore. I know. You have the, this is a huge cooler, by the way. This is the, the card in question. It's almost 13 inches long. You have to have a decent amount of of space in your case to actually fit this. The first case I tried to put this in, it did not fit. I had to take out one of the front case fans. So it's it's not going to fit in every case. And even though it's this big premium dual slot triple fan cooler, the thermals were not that great. So this might be one of those issues like uh, I think Asus came out and said that there was like a, a screw tightness issue, like the PSI numbers 
have to be a little bit higher, like 60 versus 40 or whatever they were shipping with. So this could simply be a thermal pad tightening issue on these. Plus the default fan profile is so low. This card was almost inaudible. It's a fantastically quiet card. So if you value that, I could not hear this card over the CPU fan at idle. And at maximum load, I measured like 32.9 decibels. It's super, super quiet. It was only spinning at about 1200 RPM. But then you look at the Sapphire Pulse card, it's a significantly smaller card. So, I mean, this is this is a huge card, but they're they're still working on their their cooler design. Clearly, I don't know if it's just a matter of bumping up the RPMs. Max fans, I think, were like thirty eight percent on the uh, the three fans. So that could have been tweaked a little bit, and that was in the performance BIOS where I would have expected the fans to ramp up a little bit more, but. It's it's all stuff. That, it's all firmware stuff, really. So, we will see how this continues to evolve. But the the fifty six hundred XT, I I was a little snarky, I guess, with the specifications because I I call the specs a quote fluid concept. <laughs> so it's it's like, hey, the RX the RX fifty six hundred XT is kind of whatever you want it to be. It can have fourteen gigabit per second memory or twelve. It can have a fourteen something. 1375 actually was the game clock they had announced and it's all the way up to 1660 actually with this card not 1650 so it's just they don't really know what it is and vendors get to make a lot of choices but we're talking about i'll just leave you with this memory bandwidth by default is only 288 gigabytes per second and it goes up to 336 which i think it is the the same as the NVIDIA cards. I want to say 336 sounds right for an RTX 2060. This is 192-bit data bus, 14 gigabit per second memory. So uh, I think NVIDIA has the edge at 279 unless mm. you buy a, an AMD card that has the 14 gigabit per second memory. They're doing what they can with uh, what was given to them, I guess, right? Yeah. This this could be, and this is the thing I left it open because basically it's it's a, it could be a BIOS update away from being a much better card. They bump up the fan speeds a little bit, and they decide to bump up the memory a little bit, and suddenly it's a totally different picture. But for three twenty nine, the results just weren't there, so I couldn't recommend it. It's still super quiet though, so if you're a quiet computing fan, it definitely kept it within thermal specs. It just it did it almost inaudibly, which was impressive. I'd, I'd at this point I'd say, well, at least Big Navi is uh, exciting, but I don't want to get sued by SK Hynix, so True. I will yes. refrain from saying that. Uh, yeah, I, real quick, in case anyone out there saw it, there were rumors, uh, a, a leak, somebody on Twitter claiming to have a source at SK Hynix posted a data sheet that had all this very exciting, positive information about uh, Big Navi coming up, and uh, some of it may have been true. I mean, we have some idea of where this is going to fall, but. SK Hynix, in an unusual move, came out and issued a, a press statement saying that entire document is fabricated. You know, here's the original it was based off of. It has nothing to do with the the, the GPU or anything with AMD. And, and we're we're going to be pursuing. I don't remember the exact words, but pursuing legal action against anyone, including the media, who uh, publishes the. Or I don't again. I don't want to put words in their mouth, but. Basically, they were really upset about this false information being out there and didn't uh, didn't appreciate it. So, why would they sue if it wasn't true? That's the part that I don't get. Because I know video cards tweeted that out 
Yeah, I it, I mean, it could be that this is absolutely false and will sue you if you don't take it down. Well, if, if considering it was a very positive uh, right. article, they could be putting un, un, unrealistic expectations on SK Hynix's performance. And so oh, their right. stock gets, takes a hit when the eventual news comes out. It's not as good or, or they're not as they're not the only supplier. I, I don't I don't know. Uh, so are you suggesting that stock price is ever influenced at all by rumor? Uh, no, no, it is only oh, okay. it is only influenced uh, apparently based on my retirement portfolio by rapidly spreading viruses. Yes, that too. And I was I was told earlier that because we mentioned the c word in the, earlier in the podcast that uh, we're not going to be demonetized by YouTube. So apparently that's a thing. Really? Yeah, they're 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 cracking down. I only on, know on... one c word. Yeah. Cool. Cold. It rhymes with fun. Cold. No, no. All right, so uh, that's our uh, our review of the XFX RX fifty six hundred XT Thick Three Ultra. Uh, check out Sebastian's full review. Take a look at the charts over there, and and uh, but you know, as as he said, you're gonna take a little bit of a gamble on this card because it's in its current state and at its current price, it's just not uh, performing to where it should be. All right, our uh, our next review. Uh, is from me, and it's hey, before uh, we go on to the next review. Can I can I say something? Can you look at Jeremy's screen, dude? I've I've been wanting to mention this for years, but your Afghan looks like a die shot. I see logical units. I see SRAM. Did your mom true. do that for you? Yes, she is did. She an engineer? <laughs> no, but she's very good at knitting or crocheting, yeah. as the case may be. Josh, yeah. I think you're seeing what you want to see. We all see what we want to but see. I, and, I it's get actually lost a pure white eyes, with black so Rorschach patterns on it. So whatever you see is just in your mind. Well, yeah. one, of our, one of our Oh, top... you know, everything I see is in my mind. So <laughs> true. I mean, that's a fair argument. Just a brain in a jar. Right? Yeah. Um, you get a jar? Are, uh, well, theoretically. I wouldn't, be able, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't know if I did. Um, our top, one of our top requests is to see what's behind Jeremy's backdrop. I, but, hey, uh, it's like I've 30 cats. I won't tell you. <laughs> All right, so uh, our next review is a uh, portable storage drive, and it's it's this guy right here. Oh, a little bright. Oh, it's cute. Very thin, very light. It's the Samsung T7 Touch, and it's called the Touch because this thing right here is a fingerprint sensor, and that's the that's one of two big things that uh, are different between this and its predecessor. So, uh, of course, uh, there, there, we used to have someone who worked here. I don't know if you guys remember it. Uh, his name was uh, Alan something, Maltavino, something yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah, I never heard of him. And, and he, he would occasionally review storage things, and he reviewed uh, the Samsung uh, T, was it the T3 was the first one? Or was there the T1? Well, Samsung has had a number over the last few years of small portable SSDs like this, and he reviewed all of them up through the T5, which came out uh, about two years ago, and he gave them all very high marks. They're portable. They're they were fast at the time. They were in an age of slow flash drives. They were giving you pretty much full SATA speeds, 500 plus megabytes a second, but they were SATA, uh, and they were limited by the USB interface and everything. So now we come to the T7 Touch, which uh, actually launched either late last month or earlier this month. I'm a little late on this review, but 
the the difference here is that they move to NVMe for the storage, uh, the flash, and they go up to a USB 3.2 Gen 2 interface. That's the 10 gigabit uh, performance level if you're keeping track of your USB levels. And so what we get here is a, a very fast little drive. It's not going to be as fast as a, a, a good, like a Samsung in, internal NVMe, which can do 2.5 gigabytes a second, but you're going to get about a gigabyte per second, a little less uh, in our testing, but but still about double over the T5. So that's that's the big thing there is you're going to get better performance. And then you're also going to get uh, that fingerprint sensor. And it works pretty well. Uh, the other older Samsung drives you could en- encrypt with a, um, uh, a password. And you'd have to install the software and have the software running to unencrypt it, uh, which was fine. Uh, with this, though, you set up, you still need the software to set up the fingerprint. And the, that, that software is conveniently located on a read-only uh, partition that's not encrypted. So if you mount the drive to a new computer, you'll see this first. You can grab the software there. Of course, you can also download it from their website. Uh, as of right now, the software is available for Mac, uh, Mac OS, Windows 10, and Android uh, because it is a USB-C device. So you can use that with compatible Android phones. And uh, you install that, and then you get a, a setup screen where you can set up your password and your fingerprint. And the fingerprint's just like you'd see on, like, a smartphone. It says, you know, raise and lower your fingerprint, uh, or raise and lower your finger to get a good read, and you know, different angles and all that. Uh, and then once it's done, it, it works pretty well. I'd say it's on par with Apple's first-gen Touch ID. So it's not super responsive. Sometimes you do have to go once or twice, but it's it's pretty good. It's much better than those old fingerprint sensors found on some web uh, found on some laptops uh, back in the day where you really have to rub it to get it to recognize uh, your fingerprint. So uh, once you've got that fingerprint set up though and it can go you can support up to four fingerprints. Uh, so if you're using a multi-user environment, you can, you know you can have all, all, multiple users authenticated here. Uh, you don't need the software anymore. So you can take it to a new new PC or Mac or Linux PC or any any compatible device. And uh, it'll mount that that setup partition here, and then you just rest your finger on the sensor, and then it'll it'll this partition will disappear, and then it'll remount with the full storage uh, partition. So very handy there. You don't need that software, and you can use it uh, without having to install anything. Uh, you just need to temporarily move files. So in terms of performance, like I said, uh, Samsung's claiming double the performance. Their advertised per- speeds are 1,050 megabyte per second reads and 1,000 megabyte per second writes. We got a little less than that in, in most cases. Uh, we tested it both Windows and Mac, Surface Laptop 3 with an Intel uh, processor, and then the MacBook, the 2018 uh, MacBook Pro. Uh, in, on Windows here for Addo Disk Benchmark, uh, you can see it at uh, high uh, transfer sizes, we're getting those reads hitting that advertised 1,050 megabyte per second. Uh, and again, these are sequential, uh, the way Addo's testing. And then under under writes, we're at 900. So not quite 1,000, but still quite a bit better than uh, the T5. Uh, looking at uh, Crystal Dismark, uh, we did their default array of sequential and random performance. So again, sequential, you, you know, you're getting up there. Again, not as quite uh, as high as, as uh, advertised, but still pretty good. And random performance at realistic Q-depths is uh, is. is Okay, it's not terrible. It's it's much faster than you're going to get on on most uh, portable uh, storage devices. On the Mac side, there's not a lot of um, good disk benchmarking tools for Mac, uh, but I ran some of the ones you'd see at most uh, Mac 
focused outlets. We did Black Magic, AJ System Test, and Discmark. And uh, you can see here the performance was a little bit lower uh, in most categories. Uh, but again, we're, we're looking well above the predecessor's speed. We're, we're into uh, approaching that gigabyte per second uh, in most most cases. Uh, the question, though, is, is value. This is a 200 and or, I'm sorry. So we tested the 500 gig model. It's available 500, one terabyte, and two terabyte, uh, two terabytes up for pre-order right now. I think it's shipping next month. Our 500 gig model is $130 and uh, the, the one terabyte is 230 And that's a bit pricier than other options that you may have. So if you, if you don't uh, need the speed, but you like this very thin and light portable design, because it is really nice. It's nice build quality. It doesn't get hot. Uh, detachable cables, so you can use whatever length cable you want. It's a nice looking, feeling device overall. Uh, you can go with like the Samsung T5. Well, which is almost the same device, a little thicker, slightly heavier, but pretty thin and light. And that's like $95 for a 500 gig. Again, that's SATA, so you're not going to get the speed of the fingerprint sensor, but you're saving like 40 bucks there. If you're looking at faster NVMe USB drives, Crucial has their X8, which is 500 gigs for 110 so you're saving $20. So you get the speed there, but no fingerprint sensor. But for many people, if you don't really want this uh, this nice design, if you don't mind something a little bigger, you can roll your own. You can go out and pick up an NVMe uh, USB uh, enclosure for twenty to thirty dollars, and then you can go buy any NVMe SSD you want. I just linked here the the five hundred gigabyte Samsung nine seventy Evo, and you're going to come in uh, maybe ten to fifteen dollars under the five hundred gig model. You'll save more on the one terabyte, or if you do a a cheaper NVMe drive, but you're still going to have faster speeds in most cases, save a little money, and then have the option then to upgrade. You can always pop that open and stick it in a bigger M.2 uh, if you'd like to. So overall, it, it does what it says. It's a nice looking device. Uh, it's just that the pricing right now is is a little bit uh, high if you're not willing to to pay for that uh, the convenience of having it all in one package. So. Again, that 500 gig model is $129.99, the one terabyte is $229.99, and then the two terabyte, when it's available, will be $399.99. And they've also said they're coming out with a non-touch T7, so it won't have the uh, fingerprint sensor on it, uh, And but we don't know when that'll be or what the pricing difference will be there. But uh, this is uh, this is what you have now, and it's, like I said, it's very thin, very light, about the size of a business card. Two uh, or eight millimeters thin, two ounces in weight. Not not too bad. No headphone yeah, jack, though. Right. I was I was going to say it's a little bit more expensive than the Lexar Professional. I did I looked at the SL one hundred Professional drive from Lexar, which is about the same form factor. A while back, that review's on the site somewhere, but it's that didn't quite hit the same speeds, and I know that. You know, the, what's theoretical max on 10 gigabit anyway? You're this, you were doing like USB 3.1, 10 gigabit per second, right? So that's up to just over a thousand anyway, like 1200 maybe mm-hmm. megabytes per second theoretical max. This Lexar Pro Drive barely hit the 950 that it advertised. They always seem to be just a little bit lower, especially on writes. But so this is this is better performance than the last like pro level small form factor drive we tested and it, it's 
I mean, I'm looking on Amazon right now, the one terabyte version of that's down to 179, but you're not getting any kind of security built into that. So it would be strictly software based if you use anything with encryption. There's no fingerprint reader, obviously. I'm just I'm a little surprised that Samsung went straight to fingerprint reader as the standard, which obviously increases the cost a little bit versus having that as like an optional, like pro secure level tier. I guess maybe the margins just weren't there for it because they're keeping the T5 on the market. So, Gotcha. Okay. All right. Uh, let's finish up with our last hey, review. Sebastian, can, can I ask you a personal question? Sure. <clears throat> What's the big case right next to you? Oh, this is the uh, Fractal Series 7 XL that I did a, a first look at last week, which I oh, is that, is that the next review? Yeah, I got a, I did a oh, first look, and I've got to do a thermal, and I haven't done the storage thing yet. I'm jealous because, of course, Linus got this massive shipment of like 16 terabyte drives. I think he got like 20 of them, and I don't have that. And I would love to fill this thing up with 16. I don't, I don't know if it holds 16, 14, 14, 16 terabyte drives. That's my goal for this for oh. stage two of the review. <laughs> Okay, you know, Jim, I'll I'll let you take over now because obviously I just screwed everything up. No, that's, that's fine. Actually, I just noticed a question in our YouTube chat about the uh, temperatures on this thing. So uh, they asked, "Does it get hot under sustained transfers?" And no, it doesn't. Uh, Samsung has put some uh, thermal material on the inside. The case itself is aluminum, and uh, they they claim that it it's designed to never exceed forty five degrees Celsius on the surface. I only measured a maximum of just under 40 C. So it's even better than that. That was after a full, uh, complete fill-up, uh, sustained write. Uh, was, so, was that the, the lap thermal test? The lap thermal test. Yeah, when yeah, you like, yeah. put it on your lap and then you... No, I pointed a FLIR at it. Oh, no, so no, 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 no. Your lap is so much more, you know, okay. sensitive. Exactly. There are certain parts of the anatomy gem that are more sensitive no, I'm, than others. I'm, I'm sure, and I, I could have provided. All of my it. thermal testing is made with direct contact. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that would have provided a much more visceral evaluation. You know, it's a built in heat pipe. <clears throat> I, I was going to say, when you said. It, but you don't want to. Wait, no, you, you never mind. Yeah, well, yeah. We should probably leave that alone. <laughs> oh, God. Um, all right, Sebastian. When Jim said roll your own earlier, I thought he meant something else, but we can... Well, I mean, that does that is tangentially where that comes from. Gen- tangentially where that comes yes, from. Yes, tangentially. All right, Sebastian. What's going on with the HyperX Cloudflight S wireless gaming headset with Qi charging? Uh, just that. I, I was very proud of myself, by the way, Jeremy. Did you notice my subtitle for this review? Yes, it is very nice. Gain's new clarity finds its Qi. I was so proud of myself. Uh, the Cloudflight S is the successor to or a complement to the Cloudflight. I, that was HyperX's first wireless headset and they made a big deal out of that because they had intentionally not gone down the wireless road they weren't happy with what they thought were like trade-offs to go wireless for a gaming headset so they would only do it if they did 2.4 gigahertz because it's typically better audio quality lower latency and now with the second 
wireless model in the cloud flight series they've added wireless charging as well so in theory you could take this out of the box never take the usb cable out of the box because it does come with one uh and just charge it on your wireless phone charger which sounded so strange to me that i i couldn't wrap my head around why you'd even want to do this why they would implement this it does work very well i mean it it has like a weighted slash magnetized base it always surprises me how well things sit on a wireless charger even my little cheap like 12 dollars amazon wireless charging pad these stood up just fine but uh we'll we'll get to wireless charging in a second design wise these are pretty much your your typical hyperx if you've seen them they're like this all black design a lot of plastic but a metal reinforced headband and not creaky at all these are probably the least noisy plastic headset I think you'll find anywhere. I've, I personally never found a quieter one. They're very, very good as far as build quality goes. Comfort's good, not great. The headband has pretty moderate amount of foam, actually, compared to the ear pads. It's just kind of average. Average clamping force. Noth- nothing's like crazy about these. They're They're kind of your typical gaming headset in many ways, right down to the microphone, which is absolutely not suitable for podcasting it it sounds like you're talking on a like a 3g cell phone connection it's all mid-range like it like fine a, for chat like a tin can through a string kind of L- yeah. a little bit better than that like a, a really high definition okay if you're using pure oxygen uh <laughs> copper what is it oxygen free copper cabling on your tin can i think that's about where it is sure but they they didn't advertise these as having an amazing mic. What these were supposed to give you, besides the Qi charging option, is clear sound. They talked about clarity in their press release. And honestly, compared to the Cloud Flight, the first one, which had that kind of scooped out sound where, like, if you took an old graphic equalizer and turned down the mid-range and kind of raised the bass and the treble, that's the sound signature that I was used to with HyperX. And these don't have that at all. If anything, they have a slight bump in the mid-range so it's like less bass a little bit more mid-range and and then even slightly more treble so these are like a treble and mid-range boosted sound which i was not expecting and the end result of that is even though these 50 millimeter drivers are absolutely capable of producing powerful lower bass out of the box they're not eq'd that way so you'd have to tweak the eq and then I was surprised that their Ingenuity software, it's currently a beta, but it does not have a manual EQ. You can turn the surround effect on and off, and it has some some pre-optimized settings for different popular games. But the only EQ was like a game slash chat mix, which interestingly, I didn't even get into this really yet. The outside of the ear cup that has the Qi charging pad built into it has these touch buttons on it. They're not actually capacitive touch buttons. You actually press them in, but you can assign them whatever you want with the software. That's what's really cool about these. Actually, you can make the you know left button mute if you want it, your bottom button, top button, whatever you want. And there's a, a slider in the software that you can make these buttons control that they do by default, which is you tap it one way to make it more game audio, you tap it the other way to make it more chat audio, which just handles like volume balance automatically through the software. So it's interesting. I mean, it turns down like whatever you're listening to so you can hear the chat. Um, 
So, I mean, convenience features are there. Build quality was very good. Comfort was fine. I wore these for hours and hours testing them. I ended up walking around the house. And because it's 2.4 gigahertz, they were great. They weren't breaking up like Bluetooth does in my house where I go like around a corner and I start to lose a Bluetooth signal. So that was great. And, you know, if Qi charging is something that you already use, it is kind of nice to be able to just set these down. It's weird though. You set it down and you kind of have to collapse the headset down to its small size to make it more stable. You set it down and then the thing is just sort of up on its side. You have it balancing on the back of one ear cup and then the whole thing is just vertical. It's, I don't know. It, it works, but it's just strange. It is kind of cool that you don't have to ever have a wire if you're living the totally wireless lifestyle, but then of course your charging pads plugged in with a wire. But the only thing I would say about the Qi charging, by the way, is you obviously cannot use it while it's charging with Qi. So wireless headsets, you can always use them if you plug them in. You, they just become a wired headset temporarily, even though they're not actually using the wired connection. They're still connected wirelessly. But, you know, you can live with a cord, you know, plugged into the USB port on your computer for a while. With this one, you just can't use it while it's charging. It's like an Apple mouse, you know. You can you can use it. It's great. But then when you want to charge it, you can't use it. So that was the only thing. They're, they're $159.99, so it's a $20 premium over the previous version. So with that, even if you never use the Qi charging, they still work, you know, with a cable. For that $20, you get these customizable external buttons, which I think are cool. I think it's worth $20 for those. Because you could make, like, a tapping up here, you know, turns the volume up, tapping down here, turns it down. You know, you could have the front button, mute the microphone, whatever. So you get to pick, which is nice. So I, I still like them. It's just... The sound signature is what actually got me. And I'm not a bass head at all. I like more of that mid-rangey grado kind of sound. But I was surprised at how little lower bass there was. Even though I did like, I nerded out and did like tone generator testing. And I was hearing or feeling rather bass down to 20 hertz. And then all the way down to 15 is where it cut off. It was, it was trying its best, but at like 15, 16 hertz, it was still like, you could feel it trying to reproduce that frequency. So you didn't have to change your pants. I did not. No, it did not go down to the brown note. But even though it was there. Let's change our pants for fun. True. Yeah. Anyway, enough rambling trying to describe subjective sound observations. Anybody who actually measures these with $20,000 audio equipment would probably have a, a better picture. But. These are clarity above all else. And unfortunately, for some people, they won't like that because clarity means more mid-range and treble and not as much bass. Because bass tends to muddy stuff up. Dude, I like clean and crisp. Human voice. I like muddy waters. Uh, no. I used to row on the Charles. And I don't yeah. love those muddy waters. Oh, Boston, you're my home. Yeah, uh, I'm seeing some comments that this reminds that the way that this charges, it reminds them of uh, the Apple mouse having the charging port on the bottom. Although, yep. as you said, though, if you break out the wire, you can just plug it in and charge it and it would still I pres- presume it would work. Yes. That way. Yeah. OK. Yep. 
It's a charging only port on it. It's a micro USB and it comes with the cable. So if you plug that in, it's just going to charge, even if you okay. have it connected with the wireless connection. Although you could just take your wireless charging pad, like I have a pad right here, and you could just have it like here. It would just be stuck to the side of it. I didn't try that. I guess that might work because the magnets would hold it in place. Well, you know, we if we want to grow on YouTube, we've got to start doing crazier videos. So True. Or videos, you know. Or, yeah, in videos general. in general uh, would be good. No, that's crazy. We can um, do that. When we do the video review, I will test it charging with the wireless charging pad on my face. Head on. Apply directly to the forehead. <laughs> nice. All right. Uh, before we uh, jump into the picks of the week, I just want to mention uh, quickly, because I have received some comments uh, on it. Uh, if you'll notice, uh, our reviews, or at least they used to, and then they didn't for a while, and now they do again, they have this review disclosure statement at the end of the review. And this started way back when Ryan still owned the site, and and it, it primarily started because uh, he had failed to disclose his uh, any conflicts that he had had with his uh, consulting company, Schrott Research. And so we started doing these, and, and part of this disclosure had to do with Schrott Research. But I decided, and you know, a lot of us thought that in general, it's just good to have, even though none of us have any consulting or anything like that uh, ourselves right now. Uh, it's still good to have people understand, you know, what is the relationship here? Did we get a product for free? Do we have to send it back? Did the company pay for the review? Did they pay us? Did they have a, did they approve the review? Uh, are they an advertiser? Because even though I, I think that that's, you know, that doesn't necessarily even come close to, to disqualifying you from, from uh, discussing a project, a product, it's still good to know from a reader's perspective exactly what the situation is. So we've, we've put these in. We had started to do them a while ago and, and we forgot. And the comments I received specifically were, well, the reviews that don't have them, what's going on there? And it's just that we forgot. Like we're, not, we're all remote or, now. We might- or that we weren't necessarily in compliance. So, uh, yeah, like what? internally, sure. Jim, I think, would always have preferred a disclosure. So I, my bad. I went back and put the correct disclosure for all the 2020 reviews so far. And nothing yeah. has changed. It's well, just my, my point is there was it. no malicious intent. We weren't trying to hide yeah. something by not having them on certain reviews. It's just that we this whole organization went from a, a uh, an organization that had like five people in a central location and then a couple people remote to all remote. We all work in different parts of the country. We have Slack and Discord, but sometimes we, we don't communicate right. And So let me ask you this. Are you contractually bound to start every review with, all right, guys, how's it going? Uh, no, and I, and I don't want to uh, – I, I understand what you're saying, and I, I don't want to um, – You don't want to poke I, the dragon. Well, not even having that because – even though I, I disagree with some of, and for those who are interested, Josh is referring to a, a YouTuber named Adored TV who called out Ryan and the site back in that time. Uh, and even though I disagree with some of what he has said, he was absolutely right about that point. We sh- the, the site, because of Ryan's potential conflict, that should have disclosed. And even though I had no ownership of the site at that time, Ryan and, and the whole team that was there at the old office, we sat down and we were, figured out how to craft this. And I liked it. And so that's, and, and I think every site should do this. Not every site will, but I think they should. And it's, it doesn't take a, but a few minutes for us to do. And it helps everyone understand and clarify exactly what's happening. Cause sometimes we will, sometimes we'll have a company that's an advertiser or part of their advertising is that we review a product, even though they don't get to review what we say 
or in some cases, like we've done something with uh, Be Quiet uh, recently, they do get to review it. It's a, it's a it's an advertising piece, and it's marketed as such. It's labeled as an advertised, right, yeah. sponsored by Which Post. Was, yeah. yeah, that's separate. But I yeah. just want to clarify. Yeah, that's we, not, we, that wasn't yeah, a review. Had, it was a how to shoot the power supply, which was a special article. Like, of course, their power supply is the one pictured, but it was just general information about. Yeah, that specific was. article was just an, an informational article yes. that had a general topic that featured as examples their products, but not exclusive to them. But in, like I said, just in general, sometimes there will be like let's say um, I don't think we've had this issue, but under with Ryan and, and Alan, there were times where they would uncover a problem with a product while they were reviewing it, and they talked to the company before the review in public, and they talked to their engineers and sort it out. If that happened, we'd mention that here under the company involvement section, uh, just because you should know if we talk to the company about and we fix the, their shit. the details, or if we fix their shit, or if we couldn't. Or, you know, uh, whatever. So I, I just, that's, that's why this is here. There was no malicious intent at all in the way in, for not having it. And we're going to try to have it going forward. And if you find that something doesn't have it, just let us know. There's no, there's no uh, ulterior motive here um, uh, behind Unlike it. Unlike certain other sites that have nothing even resembling this. Right. A lot of sites don't do it. Yeah. And, and, and no. I just think it's, no. it's, it's good to know. And again, saying that a company advertises this doesn't disqualify our opinion. Even saying that a company, we talked to them beforehand doesn't necessarily, but you as the reader, as the consumer of this information should have the facts and you should be able to determine on your own, you know, if you trust us or if you trust the situation and that's all. So I uh, hope, hope uh, this works for you guys. And like I said, just let us know if, if this, if there's, you got a problem with that and uh, we'll try to adapt it or fix it as we go along here. Okay, well, let's jump into the picks of the week. Um, I've got one. Actually, I've got three. They're sort of the same thing, but they're all kind of related. And uh, you may have seen this um, before. I've seen this pop up every so so often, but then I forget about it. Uh, it it's this nice website, this neat website called My, and uh, uh, in this case, I'll show you, it's My90sTV.com. But they also oh, have it was My. going to be Open DNS. No, sorry. So it's my90stv.com. They also have my80stv.com and my70stv.com. And so you go to this website. We'll have links to all of these. And you turn on the TV. And it's uh, a, a selection of, of channels that you can browse through of content based on the year. So you've got the years at the bottom here. And uh, let me just uh, mute this real quick because I can hear it even though you can't. Uh, and it's it's... Pulling from YouTube, basically. All they're, all they're doing is going out to YouTube. And if there was content that would have been on TV in the particular year, they'll uh, queue it up here as if you're changing channels. And it's everything from old cartoons, a lot of old commercials, sporting events. Uh, it's not everything, obviously, because there's a lot of like uh, uh, intellectual property restrictions on YouTube. But you'll see a lot of neat, obscure uh, stuff. And so this is the 90s one, movie trailers. Uh, if you go to, uh, let's see, my 80s TV, it's a, a slightly different uh, look here. Obviously, in the 70s, uh, one is the same. You turn the power on and pick your year and start going through uh, the channels. It's just a fun way to get lost and see what kind of cool stuff's out of there on YouTube. So uh, that's you know my, my 70s, 80s, and 90s TV.com. And like I said, we'll have the links to those. So check it out. It's It's pretty fun. All right, uh, let's see. Who's next? Jeremy. 
What have you got for us? Well, I got something for our, uh, my fellow uh, Canadians. Dell is having a very freaking dangerous sale in Canada right now. Uh, it won't be lasting for very much longer, but uh, it kicked off on Wednesday. So by the time you hear this, if you're not watching it live, or sorry, it kicked off Monday. So by the time you hear this, if you're not watching it live, you may have missed it. But it's a huge uh, amount of savings. Uh, some of the desktops and laptops, not so much. The monitors have some really sick deals. And with a lot of them, uh, if it's 400 bucks or more, you can finance it. And as long as you pay it off in six months, you don't have to pay uh, any interest on it. Uh, Americans, you might want to check your uh, exchange rate and look at the shipping because you may well find something worth it up here as well. I don't think there's any uh, blocks on uh, doing stuff over. I mean, I just uh, picked up a Dell gaming monitor for it should have been about $780, including tax. It was barely over five. So some of the really crazy ones, uh, like if you're, yeah, that was the one, the, the DGF. So, and it was actually cheaper than that because uh, of a different deal. But I mean, seriously, 279 bucks off is not too bad. Some of the insane uh, larger ones, the, the 4Ks that get a, a much larger size where you'd be paying you know, to 2,500 are in some cases almost half off. So it, it's worth taking a look if you really want to be sad at, and mad at yourself about how much you, money you've just spent. Yeah, there you go. $675 off of that ultra sharp 27, 4k. All right. Yeah. And as Jeremy said, as we found out during the uh, start of the show, not available for the U S Dell site, uh-huh. but check out the shipping and import rates. Cause you still may come out on top if you, and yeah. get it from Canada. Yeah, like I said, the desktops and the laptops are maybe one, two hundred bucks off. Uh, well, not true. Some of the higher end yogas that would run you about twenty five hundred bucks or about twelve hundred. And so, yeah, comp- shop and compare. It might even be worth uh, shipping down. All right, uh, Josh, what's your pick this week? Me, uh, something with dragonflies. Oh yeah. My audio quest, Dragonfly Black. This is uh, so this is a nice, uh, you know, <laughs> Sebastian pointed this out to me last week uh, because the Dell audio on a work machine that I brought in some speakers for because the speakers we had at work sucked and I had my own office and I thought, you know what, I want some tunes. I want some good quality tunes. And the that didn't go so well, did it? Doing, no, it sucked. I mean, they totally shredded the bass. I mean, there's nothing yep. there. Mid-range was underrepresented. Highs were yeah, it was awful. It was all terrible and terrible and terrible. But you get one of these for 99 bucks. well, 105 or whatever. 102 Yeah. Uh, it, it totally transforms your listening experience because it's a high-quality deck. It's got a lot of good stuff in there. And you just plug in your line in, and it plays, and it sounds good. Do you remember back in the day, the Via NV24 or 32? 24. That sound card that had the Wolfsum Dax in there? Mm-hmm. This is essentially it, except for 2020. Well, 2019 and 2018. But it's version 1.5. So it's 
lot more functionality. Sounds good. And it's not horribly expensive. So if you've got a subpar quality audio solution where you're just listening to music every day and it bugs the crap out of you. Is that the card? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think I think it actually... It's that's from one of them. website. Yeah. Looks like yeah. it. Uh, Chain Tech had one that was fantastic for like 24 bucks or $30. It was... It was Really amazing. NV24 and Wolfram Dax. It was just mm, great for what you paid for. And really good quality, two-channel sound. But this is the same kind of thing. Uh, really good, high quality. Sounds good. Easy to install. Just plug it into a USB port. You're good to go. Just, yeah. All right, so that's the Audio Quest Dragonfly. Uh, I mean, Sebastian may have a few things to say for it. No, it's pretty much the standard go-to for, especially in that price range. For $100, you get a pretty high-end little DAC. It has a built-in headphone amp that's capable of driving, you know, any kind of reasonably efficient headphones. And it's, you know, like you're going straight out to a pair of powered speakers, I imagine, so that's fine. You don't have to go any higher end than that. I, I... personally repurpose a digital audio player as my little computer side uh, DAC and headphone amp. But this is a little box that does everything you need it to do if you're driving your audio experience with a laptop or a desktop. And unfortunately, especially if you're at work, where you're building, you're using some very low end budget built-in audio, that's there's going to be no stereo separation. There's going to be, like Josh describes, like flat, lifeless sound where almost anything would be better. This is significantly better. Plus it has high bit rate support as well. So if you have like high end, like 24 bit flack files or something, you can listen to them natively. You don't have to don't make everything sound better, but all right. Well, Sebastian, why don't you close us out here with your pick? Okay. So like most sophisticated, intelligent people, I have, you know, asthma allergies and all that. So, and it doesn't help that I have a German Shepherd, which sheds everywhere. My, we're, you know, we love the dog, but, you know, I kind of wait. Well, hey, let's not talk about the child. The yeah. allergies. Oh, oh, the child. Yeah. I mean, the child ruins a lot of things, Everything. too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's changed my life mm-hmm. in many ways, <laughs> like not having nice things anymore. But I can't breathe unless I have an air purifier going 24 hours a day. And I was using these sharp air purifiers that look very similar to my pick this week. But there were some problems. One of them was that they got louder over time. Of course, I think all of these get kind of clogged. The, this, these are HEPA filters. It was a big one and the seal around the filter was non-existent. It was just, so a bunch of air would get in around the filter and it would fill the actual unit up and I'd have to take it apart and clean the unit out all the time. And, so I found this just by reading reviews. This is from Vornado or Vornado. And I'd never heard of them before. Apparently the brand has been around since around World War II era. But this is basically taking the design that I had with Sharp, which is this kind of like, a, it's it's about the size of a small dehumidifier. And it sits on the floor. It draws in air through two vents on the sides. So it's not taking it directly in the front or back. And then it goes through a carbon pre-filter, 
and then a full HEPA filter. And it's it's super simple. I mean, I've already had to take this thing apart once because my son pushed a guitar pick down into it, which was great. But it came apart just fine, and I got to see how it was put together. It's it's very simple. But what's great is not only is it super quiet on the low setting, but the filters for it are not outrageously expensive. A full HEPA filter for this thing. I was I think I was paying $70 was the best price I could find for my old one. These are 35 and they have a foam seal around the outside of the filter. So when you push this thing in, it's sealed. I've had this thing going 24 seven since I bought it about a month ago. And I took the filter out last night and looked in there. It's totally pristine on the inside. I couldn't go a week with my old one without there being a bunch of like dog hair and dirt inside of the actual air purifier because it would always get past the filter around the edges. So just the build quality of this thing is outstanding. They did a lot of really, they did a lot of things right with this. So I'm very impressed and it's under a hundred bucks. It sells for about $96 right now on Amazon. That may seem like a lot. If you've shopped for air purifiers, it is not. Nope. You can easily spend two, three, four hundred dollars or more on one of these things. And one of the things I read about this before I bought it was, yeah, it's only rated. This is the AC three fifty from Vornado. It's only rated for two hundred and twenty square feet. People buy these and use them for their whole house just by turning them up. I I have had no issues with this being the only one in a small downstairs. I only have seven hundred and eighty square feet. I'm I, I'm adding a second one just just because, but. This thing actually did a really good job of doing two larger rooms, my dining room, living room area, just by having it on the medium setting instead of the low setting. And it was still not loud. It was half as loud as my last one. So I'm very impressed so far. Just And the filters being half the price are, like, that's amazing. Uh, some some uh, word of caution from our chat. Woot Doctor says, uh, make sure you do not operate the Sharp and Vornado air purifiers in the same room you, uh, might, in order to avoid any possible Sharp NATO formations. Yes, yes. Should have seen that coming. Oh, I and, uh, no, the, the Sharp is long gone. I'm safe. And uh, Kent, Kent says you need to build a PC into this case. You know, I here's the sad thing. I when I was taking it apart, especially, I'm like, I'm looking at it from a case airflow perspective, which is, you know, this is where <laughs> my life is right now. I was like, oh, so it's drawing in air from the sides. I kind of like that solid front panel with decent airflow. No, no, stop thinking like this. It's an air purifier, but it would work. You could put a full EATX build in this thing, which I may do eventually. Nice. So stay tuned. But uh, all right, check out the Vornado AC350 air purifier. We'll have a link to that and all of our picks in the show notes. Well, that's the show for this week. Uh, thanks everyone for joining us. Uh, hope uh, looks like we went we went a little bit longer than I was expecting. I was putting the show notes together. I didn't think it would be too long, uh, but it is what it is. I will say too, this past week we switched our RSS provider for or not our we switched our podcast hosts host for our podcast RSS feed, uh, you shouldn't notice any change. Uh, but if, you've have, if you have any problems, let us know. Uh, we think it's working fine. We finally switched over. We were doing it some crazy old archaic way that I had to like log into Amazon S3 and edit text files and, and stuff. We're, we're now on a modern platform. Should be fast. Should work for you. But let me know uh, uh, 
let me know uh, how uh, how it works for you if you have any any issues there. Uh, anybody else have any uh, closing thoughts for the week? No. Can we just close the week today? Uh, well, yeah. for the podcast week. Well, I'm really tired. <clears throat> Exhaustion yeah, well. is setting in. It's been a long week, even though it, it's only Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Can I complain some more? Sure, I can. But I'll spare everyone. How are those sub-six-hour nights working for you, Josh? I saw you post or comment on a, that study. You know, if you go without mm-hmm. more than six hours of sleep for so long, it's basically like not sleeping for two days straight. Two days straight. Yeah. Which, yeah, no, I no. Think I, my I, wife would attest I, to this the way that I, I behave no, I, after a week. I, I agree with that. I, I go into work after a week of poor, poor sleep, and it's it's like somebody tells me something, and, and the information is moving through molasses into mm-hmm. my brain, and it's. It's awful. So yeah, uh, get 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 plenty of sleep. No sleep yeah. for me tonight because I've got to edit this and get it uploaded. And so, if you're watching live, thank you for for watching live. If you, if you didn't join us from the very beginning, the full edited version, the on-demand version, will be available uh, tomorrow morning. Uh, just give me a few hours here. We have our video version up at YouTube and uh, the audio version uh, through that uh, podcast RSS. So you can find links in all, to all the show notes and all the uh, ways to watch and obtain the podcast, pcpro.com slash podcasts. And uh, also our Discord. Yeah, that's what I forgot. Uh, we, we have a Discord community, and there's a link to join that Discord inside every podcast show note. So uh, thanks so much, everyone. We uh, appreciate you joining us uh, live or on demand, however you found us. And we hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time. Bye.